Welcome to the Worthy Writer edition of the Write Something Worthy podcast. Each month, we bring you an informative interview that helps you live your best life as an entrepreneur. Here on the Worthy Writer edition, we take a deeper dive into authorship topics through conversations with notable writers and quality industry professionals. And now, your host, Tanya Brockett. Greetings. On this week's Worthy Writer edition, I am joined by author Alana Sharps. After the introduction, prepare yourself for an engaging and enlightening conversation. Alana Sharps is a multi-talented business strategist, thought leader, and author. Alana is also a survivor of a toxic marriage tangled in narcissistic abuse. As a result, she decided to pivot her technical expertise to a proven methodology for helping others overcome similar struggles. She is now a certified high-conflict divorce and child custody consultant, helping women get through the battle of post-separation abuse. Alana's journey from victim to survivor inspired her to make this type of support her life's work. She has courageously captured her story of survival and resilience in her life-changing book, Was It My Fault? When taking a pause from her passion to empower survivors, Alana serves the community in several nonprofits. She is a board member for Time for Change of North Carolina, a mentor to women in the HER Foundation, H-E-R, and a member of the National Society of Black Engineers. Please enjoy my conversation with author Alana Sharps. Welcome, Alana, to the Write Something Worthy podcast. I'm so happy to have you here today. Oh, I'm excited to be here. Now, you are a new author with a new book, and I really want you to share your experience about that book. Why did you feel like it was necessary to tell your story that you share in the book? I actually started writing therapeutic journals and the therapeutic journals were a healing process for me coming out of an abusive marriage. I had all of this information in my head that I had to get out, so I just started writing. And I found that when I was sharing my story with others, they were identifying and they started asking me questions on how did I get out? How did I start my healing process? And what were the steps that I took? So I decided to just take my journals and turn it into a book, not only telling my story, but also a self-help guide for others to use and follow. Mm. So tell us the title of your book. It's called, Was It My Fault? And I titled it, Was It My Fault? Because when you're in an abusive relationship, you're constantly told, I did this to you, or I behaved this way because you didn't do this or you did that. So they constantly make you feel like it's your fault. So that's Mm -hmm. why I titled it, Was It My Fault? Good. And oftentimes, when we are hearing somebody blame us, then we start wondering, well, maybe it is my fault. What did I do to lead to this? So how do you help people to address that in your book? 
So I actually go through all the incidents, and you're absolutely correct. You hear that enough times, then you start to internalize and believe that everything is your fault. And I display that in my story. I detailed all the things that are said to me because my abuse was in the form of psychological and verbal. So I detailed all the things that were said to me. And I also expressed what my thoughts were during those times. So you can see that I'm internalizing and absorbing everything that's said. And I, I start to change myself because of it so that I could accommodate my ex-husband. Mm. And boy, don't we do that. Don't we do that. So tell me who who is this book really designed for? Who do you hope to reach with this book? My target audience is women between the ages of 35 and 55 who are currently in abusive relationships and they don't realize they're in them because emotional, psychological abuse is something that we don't talk about. So they probably think it's normal as I did. It's also for women that are currently leaving an abusive relationship and they want to know the steps to heal or the steps to protect themselves in the process, and also for friends and family to recognize the signs of abuse so that they can offer support for that friend or family member during the process of getting out of the relationship. Mm. Yes, because oftentimes those around you, when they don't see it, they don't see that day-to-day, I can imagine that they're just like, oh, you, you're just taking that too seriously, or, or oh, don't, don't worry about that, or they don't know how to support you because they're not, they're not. They can't identify. It. That's exactly right. right. Yes, they do not know how so, to support you, and, and even the ones that try to support you, a lot of times, they don't say the right things. So mm-hmm. things. When you're in an abusive relationship, you really need to get out of it. There's no reason to stay in one. And oftentimes with friends and family, they just think that you're having an argument with your ex or, you know, it's something small. And they actually encourage you to stay in the relationship, maybe because you have children. Yes. And they don't want to see the children become a part of a broken home. So a lot of times they don't understand what is actually going on and they give you the wrong advice. And how many people have, you know, how many times have we heard the story, oh, we stayed together for the kids or I can't leave because then my kids, you know, whatever. Oftentimes people are in horrible relationships and they think, that staying together is for the benefit of their children when, in fact, it could really be harming those kids, couldn't it? That's correct. It's very detrimental to the children. And I actually go into what happened to my kids as a result of living in an abusive home. I didn't find out until after I left that my children were being abused as well. Because I was so caught up in my own survival, I didn't recognize the signs of abuse in my kids. So in the book, I talk about that revelation. I talk about the things my children shared with me. And I talk about what their mental state is like today as a result of that marriage. Wow. So they had issues that they had to address as well. Um, 
being in that environment. It wasn't just like, oh, mom and dad are having a fight or, you know, dad's mad or whatever, right? It, right. There's like a much greater impact on the children that sometimes we don't even recognize. That's exactly right. The kids actually experience trauma. So they, they grow up with being diagnosed with childhood trauma. Mm. And if they don't address that, does that lead to replication? Does that lead to being in relationships that are abusive to them as they grow older? Yes, it can take one of many directions if they do not address it and get therapy. They either become abusers themselves or they just have, they go into another abusive relationship or they just isolate themselves and they don't want to be around people at all. They don't want to be in a relationship at all. That's the current state that my daughter is in. She's 18 years old. She doesn't want to be in a relationship at all. Hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. So what was the turning point for you when you decided, when you, one, you know, woke up to it and decided to actually get out of this marriage? I started to wake up 12 years into my marriage when my ex had an affair. And then I started analyzing everything I said, everything I did, and it just really opened my eyes to his behavior and how could he do this to me. I ended up forgiving him, stayed in the marriage four more years, and I saw him physically assault my teenage son at the time. And that's when it clicked in my head, okay, this is a physically violent relationship. Not only do I need to protect myself and get out of it, but I need to protect my kids. So my mother instincts took over at that point. And I immediately that night got on the internet and I started looking for places to live. Wow. So that's a scary place to be, right? I mean, tell us about that. You're like, oh my gosh, I have to get out of here. I have nowhere to go. I, I Everything that... I've done for the past 12 years has been wrapped up in this relationship. How do I move on from here? Tell us what that was like for you. Very hard. Um, from the time my ex-husband had an affair up until I saw him assault my son, I didn't realize until I started reading back over my book, but it took the seventh time of me saying I'm going to leave to where I actually left because I kept getting pulled back into the relationship by my ex. And I kept getting pulled back in because mom guilt, again, everybody's saying, well, you have children. Don't separate from your husband because your children are going to be from a broken home. I didn't think that I was going to be able to survive on my own as a single mother and be able to pay all my finances. I was so attached to being a couple I didn't, and I changed myself, I didn't know who I was, I didn't know what I liked, I didn't know what I liked to do, so I was fearful of being out on my own. So I had all of these reasons why I couldn't really leave the relationship, and then once I left the relationship, my gosh, it was the best thing ever. I couldn't believe how much happier I was, 
I couldn't believe how much I missed the things that I once enjoyed prior to getting into the marriage. It was the best decision, and I wish that I had made it sooner. Mm. Wow. Now, I often hear of women who stay in abusive relationships, and you're like, how on earth can you do that? Why do you allow this to continue? But hearing you, you know, I I get this, the whole uncoupling thing, the whole, you know, the financial uh, dependence in a sense, even though oftentimes women can totally live on their own or create jobs or businesses to allow them to be on their own. But because they've been wrapped up as a pair, as a we for so long, it's hard to think of themselves as an I, as a me. And That's exactly right. That, yeah, it's amazing. So you share this story in your book. You help you help women to recognize uh, these things that could be happening. The, if this is happening, this could be, you know, something you might want to think about or, or what have you. Do you share with um, the reader some of those signs that you wish you had seen earlier? I did. I share all the red flags that I missed mm-hmm. from the time I met my ex all the way up to when I left. And I explain the red flags. I also explain the changes that go on in the brain when you're being abused. Your brain Mm -hmm. rewires itself to protect itself. So you don't think rationally when you're in that type of relationship. You know, you're just thinking of survive, survive. So you do things you normally wouldn't do if you weren't in that type of relationship. So for example, if my husband was just yelling and screaming at me, logically I would have got up and left the house to get out of that situation. But because I was just in survivor, I sat there and I took it and then I would just apologize for things that I knew weren't my fault just to make the verbal abuse stop, just to get back to a status quo. And then I walked on eggshells, you know, I I thought constantly about what to say and how to say it because I didn't want to say the wrong thing and set him off. So my mind was constantly consumed with what to say and how to act and what would he like for me to say and how would he like for me to act because I didn't want to set him off. And my children started to behave like that as well as they started to get older and recognize the signs. My goodness. Wow. That that's really that's really intense. So now now that you're out and you and you had that weight lifted off of you, what does hindsight say? Is there anything that you would have done differently to leave the relationship sooner? Yes, I wish that I would have left the relationship the first time. I wish I would have trusted my gut instincts instead of pushing them to the side and trying to convince myself that the the red flags he was giving off were not actually red flags. So that's something I talk about in the book as well. Trust your gut instincts because they're there for a reason. Do not neglect them. That was a huge mistake that I made, even during the dating phase. 
so trust your gut instinct. That's yes. Very good advice. Because oftentimes we do push things down. Oh, no, I'm I'm sure, you know, he didn't really mean it that way. Oh, I'm sure that he's really a good guy. I'm sure that, you know, this feeling is just, it'll go away. But you're That's suggesting right. that you need to listen to that. You need to listen to it. Because all of the things that were subtle in the beginning of the relationship got worse as the years went on. So for those women who think that, oh, I'll change him or it'll get better, that's not necessarily the case? That is not the case. And you cannot change anyone. They have to want to change for themselves. And that was something I thought as well. Oh, he and people would tell me, oh, well, he just needs to mature a little more. That's not the case. That was him. His behavior was him. It was ingrained in his personality. And no, he did not change. Actually, since my ex is a narcissist by clinical definition, he had a mask on when he met me. He presented himself as someone that was would be considered my soulmate. He liked everything that I liked as far as music, movies, hobbies. He was the perfect man, in my opinion. But as soon as we got married, he dropped the mask and became his true self. And it was someone that I didn't like and someone that I would not have chosen otherwise. But I found myself constantly trying to find that man that I met because I thought that that man was in there somewhere and it didn't take until I left the relationship and I started doing some reading on narcissism that I realized that man never existed. That man that I met and fell in love with was just a facade to get me to marry him. Wow. And that's, yep. That's what a lot of women in my situation deal with as well. When they get out of relationship, in fact, I just had a conversation today, a consultation with a potential client. And she said, I'm still trying to settle with the fact that the man that I married was not the man that I fell in love with. Tell me more about that. You help others to actually deal with this. Tell us about that. I do. I am a certified high conflict divorce and child custody consultant, and my niche is dealing with narcissists. So I assist women mainly in the child custody process because that is the last form of control that a narcissist has on you. So what happens when you leave the relationship is the narcissist still tries to control you, but since you have left, they can no longer control you, but they can control you through your children. So they start to use the children as pawns. And they start to do smear campaigns. They smear your name to all of your friends and family, trying to get everyone on their side. So I coach women on how to get through that process, how to communicate with their ex from that point forward, and things to look out for, and how to document, how to document incidents of abuse that will be useful for them during the legal process. When you're dealing with a narcissist, someone that has true narcissistic personality disorder, they all behave the same, even down to the phrases that they use. So the process that I walk women through, and I do have, I don't want to say it's just women, I do have, I think, three male clients. Um, 
I'm walking them through the same process because the techniques used to combat the narcissist work on all of them because they all do the same things. They all work by the same playbook. Wow. I find that just amazing. Mm-hmm. I, and it it just floors me, but it also is like, to what end? <laughs> why, why are people doing this? Why do narcissists even exist? What is their purpose and what is their intention and what do it, what do they expect to gain by using your children against you? What good is that? I don't right. understand. <laughs> right. So narcissistic personality disorder, um, and there's still a lot of study on this on how it develops in childhood, but they believe that it develops because the child is needs are not getting met. Their emotional needs are not getting met. So they do not develop their own identity. So they start to develop masks depending on which person that they're around to fit that person. And they don't Mm. feel good about themselves. So they rely on others that we call others supply to feed them admiration and make them feel good about themselves. So when you look at the kids of a narcissist and the spouse of a narcissist, they don't love you in, a, in how a normal, healthy person would love. They look at you as supply. So how could they use their kids like that? Well, the kid is supply, and they can use those kids to get back at you because they still want to control you. So if I can do everything in my power to make your life measurable with the kids, I'm going to do that. That's how they think. They don't care how it affects the kid. They don't care about the detrimental impacts that the kid can have and the trauma that the kid has. It's all about the narcissist. That's all they think about. Me, me, me. What can I do for me? Mm. And I see it play out every day in my clients' cases. Wow. What a huge benefit for those out there who have to deal with this issue of narcissistic abuse to have someone like you who not only understands the 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 counseling side and the you know the theory and all that other stuff but has gone through it seen it herself knows what to look for and can truly help somebody to navigate that that's exactly right Yes. So when my clients come to me and I say I understand it because I went through it, I can hear them just inhale and exhale on the phone. It's like, (sighs) because they don't have to over explain anything because I get it. And so they're very excited to have someone talk to someone that understands and can help them in their situation. You know, that is just the perfect reason for you to write your book about this experience. I talk to people all the time about here, we, we write something worthy on this podcast. That's what we focus on writing something that's going to have a positive impact on the world, not just doing words out there, but actually saying something that matters and what you've done. Wow. Is really something that's going to matter to a lot of people out there who are dealing with this kind of abuse and don't need to. There is a way out. 
and you're showing them that way out in your book. And woo, mm, thank That's goodness. right. And I've gotten a lot of great feedback on the book, not only from people currently in the situation trying to get out, but people that just want to learn and understand. They've told me that they've learned a lot just from reading my book. So they understand now and they can recognize the signs in their friends and family if they see something going on. Mm. So it's not only a great resource for the one who is actually going through the abuse, but it's a great resource for all of the support systems around that person. So the family, the moms, the dads, the brothers, the sisters, the people who are on the outside that need to learn how to help them, this book can help them to do that. That's exactly right. What would you recommend for somebody who's on the outside who sees somebody who who now has your book, so they're like, oh, oh, and they learn things and discover it, and then they're like, but what about, you know, Jenny over there? This is like, this looks like her. Yes. What does somebody and on the I've outside do when Jenny doesn't recognize it yet? Yes. And Jenny does have to recognize it for herself. So what I tell people in those situations is to just offer their help and say, if you ever need me or if you need someone to talk to, please reach out anytime. Just offer your support and assistance. Because if Jenny doesn't recognize it yet and you say, hey, I think your spouse is abusive and you need to get out of the relationship, you're just going to push Jenny deeper into that relationship because she can't recognize for herself that she's in a bad situation. Mm. Okay. That's good advice for us to know. Mm -hmm. My goodness. So tell me about your journey through into this role of being an author. What was it like to have to document this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And before we go into that, actually, the documentation you mentioned earlier, I think, is an excellent thing to know about. And for anyone who is in that situation, what kinds of things do you mean when you say you can them some of the tools they need to document so that they can get out of those kinds of relationships? They need to document all incidents of abuse, all physical, verbal, and emotional with dates and times, what occurred, and if the children were present. And if your children were present, document the children's reaction because these are all the things family court looks at when you're in a child custody situation, and they're trying to determine what percentage to give, give to each parent. If you have physical bruises, take photos. I always say photos, video, audio, whatever you can do to document signs of abuse, it's all critical for a legal case. Mm, if you can file a police report. Good. Yes, I, I didn't mm. file a police report when my son was physically assaulted. So one of the first things my lawyer said to me was, why didn't you file a police report? That would have been critical to your case. So then I felt guilty for not doing it. Mm. And you think, oh, maybe that's too much, you know, or maybe I don't need to go that far. Uh, 
how to, you know, if somebody is in that situation, I can imagine feeling like, what do I do? What do I do? Right. And I I didn't want to ripple the waters anymore, right, by having the police come over, because as soon as the police left, I felt like the situation Mm -hmm. would get worse. Correct. Yeah, I can imagine that. Wow. So that's really interesting. So the documentation, so that led me, okay, so now let me go back to the question about you as an author and working through your story to create the manuscript that you needed to share with the world. What was that process like for you? Very difficult. Uh, When I started out, I was a woman dealing with trauma. And so it was very hard for me to put the words on paper and have to reread passages to try to make them better because I re-traumatize myself every time I have to read my story. And as you know, during the book writing process, you have to edit and edit again and edit some more. I didn't realize how difficult the process is going to be until I got into it. And I cried. I don't know how many times I cried, but I cried over and over because I was still processing the trauma and still trying to get this book done. So very difficult process, but I knew it was something that I needed to complete because it was going to be a guide for others. And that was my goal. So you kept your eyes on the prize there and said, I did. My vision is to be that guide for others and to help others be that light to help them to get out of that horrible dark tunnel. And if I'm going to do that, I've got to complete this book to make it so. That's right. And that was my driving force. That really was my driving force. Wow. That's that's very good. I I, I totally agree that it's important to have a why. Why why this book? Why you? Why are you the one to write this book? And when you have a clear vision like that, it allows you to persevere even through the tough times and you clearly had to get through some tough times to get that book done. So kudos to you, first of all, for working through that for the benefit of others. Thank you. Amazing. So now that, well, tell me about what's next for you in regards to the book and what's next for you as an author. In regards to the book, I am currently promoting it the best way that I can as a self-published author, and I would like to start doing some speaking engagements. I want to speak to teenagers because domestic violence situations typically begin during the teenage years in their relationships, and also to the different women's groups to start educating them as well. I'm also trying to expand my business and get the word out that, you know, I am a high conflict divorce and child custody consultant. So I want to spread the word and I can help anyone around the country in their case. I'm not going to know your particular case, the laws for your state. However, the process is the same, same no matter where you live. So I'm just really just trying to get the word out, letting people know that I exist and that I'm here for help and support if needed. 
wow, how tremendous. So we will make sure that our listeners will have this information in the show notes so that they can make sure they can reach out for you to you when they either find someone in their circle that needs to deal with issues or when they themselves need to. Can they reach out to you confidentially? How do they gain the strength or the, you know, how do they make that first call to you or... It typically is a phone call. It is scary. And I've only gotten emails, I think, twice. And I'm coming up a year in business now. Um, Typically, it is a phone Mm -hmm. call. They will schedule time with me. I have my calendar set up on my website so that people can go out and schedule a call. And typically, it's a 15-minute introductory session. But once they find out I've been through the situation and I understand, we go into an hour. Because they just they just need someone to talk to and they just need to get like their whole entire situation out. And a lot of times they're crying because, again, you've been through a traumatic situation. So telling your story, you're reliving those events and it becomes emotional. So do you recommend that maybe they ensure that they have a little bit of alone time to make that first call to you to reach out? I do. Yes. Probably do not want to have kids around because you don't want to see your, you don't want your kids to see you in that situation. So a lot of times I've been on the phone and the women, they have their little kids there and they start crying and they're like, hold on a second, let me collect myself because my son's here. So I do recommend, Mm -hmm. you know, you make that phone call when you're alone um, and you have time to really talk. What a wonderful service you offer. Can you, while we're talking about the fact that they can reach out and find your calendar on your website. Can you share your web address with them now? Sure. My web address is surthrivetribe.com. And I will spell that out. It's the word survivor and thrive pushed together. So it's S-U-R-T-H-R-I-V-E-T-R-I-B-E.com. Sir Thrive Tribe. I'm also on social media as well, Instagram and Facebook. Mm. And how do they find you on Instagram and Facebook? Instagram, my handle is Sir Thrive Tribe. And then I also have my personal handle, Alana Sharps. Awesome. And Facebook is Sir Thrive Tribe also. That is so good. I am. We will definitely have the links to all of that in our show notes so that our listeners can grab a hold of that at any time. And I would certainly recommend that if anyone knows anyone in trouble, that they listen to this podcast episode so they can hear Alana and that they can learn some tips right here, right now on what they can do to start working their way out of their situation. And that phone call to Alana is likely to be that first step. That's right. In your speaking engagements and working with teenagers and working with women's groups, they can reach you through the websites as well to reach out to you and say, hey, we need you over here. Yes, they can. (laughs) Yep. Send me an email. Give me a call. All of my contact information is on my website. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. 
Now, I want to do one more thing. I want to go back to the, the whole authorship side of things, that, that working through uh, becoming an author. Why did you choose to self-publish your book versus, you know, trying to get an agent and go traditional? Going traditional was going to be a longer process. And I felt like I needed to get my book out immediately to help others. So that's why I went the self-publishing route. Now, now that I have my book out, I'm finding that I actually want to go with a traditional publisher. So those are the steps that I'm taking now is trying to find an agent and trying to see if I can get with a traditional publisher to reach a wider audience. So do you think you'll come out with another book with that traditional publisher or are you hoping that they'll pick up, uh, do a new edition of your self-published work? Good question. So when I originally wrote the book, I said I was going to be one and done. And then once people read my book, they said, you need to write book two and you need to talk about the impacts on the kids. Book two should be about the children. So now I'm kicking around the thought of, okay, maybe I will write book two and I'll talk about the impacts to the kids from day one all the way up until, you know, like my kids are teenagers now, actually one's 23 and just talk about, you know, how they were impacted and how their lives turned out. Mm. So that may be book two. No time soon because I'm still recovering from writing book one. <laughs> but book two, <laughs> book two is a thought in my head. Well, good. We do need to push our first books, too, for a while to give them a chance to get out there and grow and land in the right hands uh, of our ideal readers. So, yeah, keep pushing that book. We want to make sure that you get as much mileage out of this first book as possible. And yes. to that end, they'll be able to um, find your book on typical uh, book platforms like Amazon, yes? Yes, yes. I published on Amazon, and it should be pushed out to platforms like Barnes & Noble and other bookstores as well. All right. And we'll have, um, we'll have our link to Amazon for your book on the show notes as well so that our readers can go and tap there and directly link in. So I, I appreciate that. Wow. So tell me about, in regards to your experience, I'm going to ask you this one uh, critical question that is totally relevant to us and our tribe here at Write Something Worthy. What do you believe it takes for an author to write something worthy? You have to have a purpose and you have to have determination. Because that is what's going to get you through writing your book. It is not an easy process, not an easy process at all. And you really have to constantly tell yourself what your purpose is, and you have to be determined to get that book done, get it through to completion. Mm. There yeah, are many yeah, times yeah. I wanted to give up. <laughs> <laughs> Many times. Well, we're all glad you didn't. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, having and that purpose fuels that persistence. It does. 
And also, I think I put extra pressure on myself because I set my own timeline and my timeline was really tight. And uh, what one of my friends said to me, she's published three books herself. She said, you know, work on your own timeline, like stop putting so much pressure to have it out within three months, like just write when you're comfortable with writing, when you're relaxed and just take it day by day. And once I did that, it was easier for me to do. I took the pressure off and I just focused on just completing the book as opposed to completing it by a certain timeline. Mm, Good. Good. Yeah, it's an arbitrary deadline otherwise, right? I mean, if you don't have a publisher beating you over the head saying, I need to, you know, launch this book by X date, so therefore I have to have this by that date because I have to do all this editing and manufacturing and all that. If you don't have a publisher beating you over the head for a deadline, why are you beating yourself up for it, right? So That's so, exactly right. So that is good advice for, that's a that's good advice for authors because we do stress ourselves out sometimes. It's already stressful to write, right? And right. Then, then we add even more pressure to it. So thank you for sharing that. That's very helpful for others. Is there one last thing that you'd like to say to your ideal reader um, that you know we can help you to share right here? Yes, I would like to tell anyone that's currently in a toxic relationship and you're scared to leave that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that it's so much better on the other side. I know you probably think that you can't survive financially. If you're a mom, you're scared of being a single parent. It all works itself out. I'm a testament to that. I've rebuilt my life and I am thriving. And I coach my clients to go down that path as well. Wow. It's much better on the other side. Yes. Mm. And there is hope then. There is hope. There is hope. Thank you. Thank you very much for being on the show and, and talking with us about this important topic and sharing your experience about uh, becoming an author and how you can use it to make a positive impact in the world. Thank you for having me on. You've been listening to the Worthy Writer edition of the Write Something Worthy podcast. If you'd like to know more about today's guest or even to reach out to them, you can find all of their information in our show notes at writesomethingworthy.com. Have a wonderful week and we hope you join us next Wednesday for another fabulous episode.